So welcome those of you that are physically in the building. Welcome those of you that are joining us via live stream. It is great to have you with us in, in our time of worship as we are together. Well, we're wrapping up our series today, Let's Go. And it's been a series where, where I've tried to challenge us a little bit on, on values, and especially the values that we adopt as a church. Our vision team, a year and a half ago, um, went through a, a time of struggle and, and seeking God's desire and God's will for our lives, and out of that birthed values for us as a church. Taught them last year, teaching them this year as well, and their values that we live into. And that's what we've entitled this series, Let's Go. So we've been talking about the importance of what it means to live in values. I hope that as we've been talking about this, that, that you feel, felt stretched. I receive email from some of you that talk about how sometimes the messages are, are, are stretching you. And listen, that's what it's for, right? Um, our faith is not supposed to be static. It's supposed to be dynamic. Uh, in John Wesley's uh, words, uh, the founder of the Methodist movement, we are constantly moving on to perfection. And in that, in the sanctification of being like Christ in everything that there is about us. So I hope that you are challenged every week. I want to encourage you that after we teach on a subject, not only uh, just while you're here, uh, live stream or in the building, but go back during the week and watch it again. Ask yourself some questions and really let the Holy Spirit move within you uh, that you may feel the presence of God. In, in what we're doing. Today we're, we're talking about our, our final message in, in Let's Go, and it's really about how we reach out and how we um, uh, share our faith with others, and how, I, I just want to say how simple I think that it is, and I want to step you through a couple of things today that uh, will make some sense. I think uh, that most of us would say that, that sharing our faith in a way of telling people about the love of Jesus talking to them about the grace of God, the forgiveness of sins, I think most of us would probably say that that is a huge priority in our life. Amen, do you agree with that? Absolutely. It's a quiet crowd there. Are, are we Quakers? I mean, you know, Quakers, they just kind of hang out and don't say a word. I mean, come on, we're Methodists, you know. Uh, they were, Methodists were formerly known as shouting Methodists. So give, give me an amen this morning. Amen. amen. There we go. So, so the, the challenge this morning is, here's our opening question. I've, I've thrown out a question every week. When had, did the Great Commission become the Great Concession? Okay, when did the Great Commission become the Great Concession? In the early church, they believed that nothing was more important than telling the world about the love of Jesus Christ. You can imagine through Jesus' life, through his death, through his resurrection, it spawned the movement that literally has transformed uh, billions and billions of people across the world today. But in the early day, they, they recognized that, that, that God believed in them, that God empowered them, that God called them to go and to share what's called the good news, the gospel, with others that they came in contact with. So there was a sense of urgency and that's, that's what I want to get at today is where's our urgency to do this? And that's why I played off of the words of that question. When did the Great Commission to go make disciples of all become the Great Concession? We kind of not sure we want to do that. Where's the sense of urgency? Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in his second letter to the church in Corinth. And this is going to like um, catapult us in this morning. So strap on your seatbelts. Here we go. Uh, we, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Let's stop right there. You know what an ambassador is, right? An ambassador is someone who represents someone or who represents an ideology, who represents um, what is of importance. So we have ambassadors that represent countries. Uh, Paul is saying that you and I and all Christians, we are ambassadors of Jesus, that we represent Christ in the world. He says, as though God were making his appeal through us. Great clue. 
God is appealing through you to share God's story with others. And as God appeals through you, God is calling you, not just into you know, people that are called in to be preachers and ordained ministry, but God is calling you to be a minister of sharing the gospel truth. Paul writes, we implore you on, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we, may, we might become the righteousness of God. So you see the significance here that, that Paul is saying that God is doing all of this through us. And I love what Allison said a little while ago. You know, uh, God doesn't need us for anything, but God invites us. And God says, I want you to be a part of the story of salvation. I want you to be a part of being heralds of, of what my love is. So we are appealing, God is appealing through us to make the difference. When I look at survey, anybody ever taken a survey? Remember when we could walk through the mall before the pandemic and that person with a clipboard, they'd always kind of be walking around. They never picked me because I have gray hair. You know, I'm, it's too old, you know. But, but some of us get, you know, some people get picked for surveys. Now, there was a survey that was done that asked this question that said, what is it that you're most afraid of? What is it you're most afraid of? So think about that a second. What are you most afraid of? So people that answered this national survey said things like this. They said, well, one of the things that they're afraid of is the fear of flying. How about spiders? They said, I'm afraid of spiders, like, they, you know, arachnophobic. You know, I don't like spiders. Another one says, being audited by the IRS. You know, people are afraid of being audited by the IRS. You know, here was one uh, that says that, that, that death, the fear of death, is, is one of the fears, but it's number two. Someone think, hey, that would be number one. What do you think the number one fear is that most people have? Public speaking. Okay, so people have this fear of speaking in public. You may, you may have heard the story uh, in the days of the old Roman days where, where a Christian was thrown to the lions in the Colosseum and the crowd was jeering and, and egging on the lion to go do its duty to uh, go ahead and have its way with the Christian. And as the lion was ferocious and came to attack the Christian, the Christian grabbed the lion and whispered in his ear and the lion backed off. And then the crowd got even louder and the lion got excited and he went to pounce on the Christian again and the Christian grabbed his mane and whispered in his ear and the lion backed off. The, the Roman emperor was not happy about this because it was just taking too long. So he sent a centurion down. He said, go find out what in the world that that Christian is doing to, to keep that lion at bay. He's ferocious. He should have eaten him by now. And the centurion goes down and asks some questions, observes some things, and he comes back and he says, you're gonna never believe it, king. The king says, what's going on? He says, the Christian told the lion after dinner, you might have to say a few words. All right, okay, Dave, Dave thank you. I'm glad you got it. Felix, I'm getting a clap there. What, what, what about this side of the room? Nothing? All right, there we go. All right, I've got a friend at home who's gonna send me an email and go like, I can't believe that you just shared that story. Okay, all right. So, so I wanna lead us into the book of Acts for a second. So if you, all right, Dave, I'm glad you still like this. Good. Let's keep it going. So Acts chapter 8. So if you've got your Bibles, open those up. Electronic device at home, if you're using your tablet, your Bible, your phone. Um, some have asked what's a great app for Scripture. Uh, Uversion is a great Bible app. You could, it's free. You can download on that, all sorts of translations. Let's go to Acts um, chapter 8. And I want to share with you a really important story that is going to be key for us 
as we look together uh, for today. Now, these are, this is a story that, that goes beyond the call of duty, so to speak, but yet it's such, a simple, it's such a simple thing to do, all right? So here it is, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through, uh, let me just take us down to maybe like, uh, you know, I don't know, 39, okay, there. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south on the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, who was queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Now, hold on to that thought, because that's a very important thought. He had gone down to Jerusalem, Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Specifically, he's reading Isaiah 53, what we come to know as the suffering servant. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stand near it. So Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. Here's what he was reading. He was like a, a sheep to be slaughtered and as a lamb before the shearer is silent so that he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from him uh, from the earth. So the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot, and then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. So, so there's two really important people in the story. The first is the, is the Ethiopian. Who was he? In the time of this writing, Ethiopia was one of the most powerful nations in the world. So this is a person who is a high official um, on a cabinet of Queen Candace. So think about it this way. So he was most likely like the treasury secretary of our country. So that would mean that his chariot probably was a stretch chariot, probably had smoked windows in it, had you know, guys running around with uh, sunglasses and earpieces, you know, jogging beside it to make sure he was protected. But what we learn about in this story is that this that this Ethiopian uh, was a man who had everything the world could offer him. He had power, he had prestige, but we learn that he's missing something. He's missing something. He had gone down to Jerusalem. He was, he was searching for God, and we know that, and that's why I said, remember this in the line. It says clearly that he had gone to Jerusalem to worship, but what we find out in the text is, is that something didn't happen while he was there. While he was there, he must have gone into a temple and, and hoped that the temple would have been filled with praise and love and glorious of God, like in the days of King David and Solomon. But, but likely what he found was a, was a temple uh, that was uh, overcome and overwhelmed with, with religious order and laws and, 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 and probably left there feeling empty. If you've ever been at a place in your life where you say, I just feel like I'm spiritually empty, that's, that's where this guy was. And so he is moving away from there, and God instructs Philip to come into, into, to come into his life. Philip is the second person. Who is Philip? Philip is one of the apostles. 
What we know about the people that Jesus called into ministry was that they were not people of fame. They were not people of fortune. They didn't have wealth. They didn't have influence in their community. They were ordinary people, many of them fishermen. Matthew, probably the tax collector, might have been the most well-known, not sure. Luke, a physician, could have been known. But most importantly, these were common, ordinary people that Jesus called in. And what I love about this is, is that Philip makes himself available to what the Holy Spirit is saying. And the Holy Spirit says to him that he needs to go and be next to this man because God is ready to do something in this man's life. Now, most of us, we probably know a person like this Ethiopian in the story. We know people who go to churches. We know people who read Bibles. We know people who've been baptized, have been confirmed. They've been in Sunday classes and all this. But they're just not sure yet what the faith can do. They're not sure about what this relationship with Jesus Christ can really open and so they're kind of going through the motions, but they're just not really sure of what to do next. <clears throat> but like Philip, you and I, we have the answer. And I want to share with you what that answer is. But before we do that, let me, let me just go over a couple things that I believe that all people have. These are four things that, that all people um, are, are a part of, all human, four human needs that people have. Now, as I say these and I explain them, some of you are going to say, well, that's not me, or, or if I say that, then that means I don't have faith. No, no, don't go there. I believe after many years of talking with people and knowing myself, I can say that I believe that all of us have struggles in these four areas. Here's the first one. People are spiritually empty. Why are you in church today? Why are you watching online why do you practice your faith? Because you're spiritually empty. You are searching for that deeper relationship with God. You want to find Christ along your journey. You want to empty and open your life for the movement of Christ there. So we're always searching for something. So we are spiritually empty at times of our lives. The second one is this, is that most people are lonely. Now you might say, well, I've got a family, I've got friends, I, I'm not lonely. But listen, ask yourself, do you not ever experience some sense of loneliness in your life? I mean, look what the pandemic has done, for crying out loud. The pandemic has literally separated us from, from everybody. It separated us from our routines. It separated us from our friends and our families and our communities. We have this sense of loneliness that has come in for us. And, and even the great uh, physicist Albert Einstein wrote to a friend, he said, it's strange to be known so universally and yet to be so lonely. Einstein, a well-known guy. Here's the third one. People generally can feel guilty. People can feel guilty. Why? Because we're all capable of sin. And not just capable of it, we all sin. So, so that guilt comes from shame, and I'm going to use that term. And the shame comes because we find ourselves constantly making choices that lead us into sin. I might be forgiven for the sin that I've just committed, but that doesn't stop me later in the day uh, moving into another sin. We call it backsliding. So we constantly are wrestling with a sense of shame that, like what Paul said, you know, I, why do I do the things that I don't want to do? And, and why do I do the things that aren't important or, or, or the right things? I want to strive to be like Christ, but I struggle with that. And so we find that, that most people feel guilty. We find that we're not in sync with our creator. Here's the fourth one. People are afraid to die. Now, this is the one that, that, that I get most pushback on. Oh, I'm not afraid to die. I know where I'm going when I die. But you know what? In the back room of my office behind closed doors, what else are you telling me? I'm afraid to leave my family. I don't want my family to be without. 
I'm going to miss everybody. They're going to miss me. So the reality comes. So, so there is some fear to death. It may not be that you fear dying because you don't know that you have a relationship with Christ, but, but most of us, I think, would say we, we want to live. I had a guy tell me not long ago, uh, I'm safe and secure in Christ, but I just hope the Lord doesn't come soon. What does that mean? So we all, we all struggle with this. When asked what's your greatest fear, many will say death. When asked what's your greatest regret, many will say it's mortality, the fact that I can't live forever. So these are some struggles that are universal that I believe that we have. These are universal struggles that I believe that we, that we struggle with, that we have. But listen, so what I'm trying to say is that, that everyone's empty, everyone's lonely, um, everyone has insecurities, everyone in some way fears death, they don't want to leave their loved ones, they, they don't want to go too soon. So in that struggle, we all share something. And what I'm going to share with us today is that I believe by, by helping people understand and to know the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can help them to grow into a different way, so that in the midst of those fears that we have, that we can find some great strengths. I'm often asked the question, um, how am I supposed to share my faith? Is there some, some sort of steps to do? Um, how am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to introduce people to Jesus? I had a, a pastor friend many years ago say to me this, and, and it's stuck with me ever since. He said, you know, think about having lunch with someone, that you should be able to take out a napkin with your pen, and share the gospel. Now, don't use a good linen one because they might get mad at you. Hopefully, it's a paper one. But, but, but we should be able to just, it's simple enough that we should be able to just lead people that way to know. So, so here's a couple of things I just kind of want to throw out. These are really important. So um, I want to encourage you to write these down. You can go back later. You can watch this. You can revisit this. But make sure that we get these together. Here's the first one. Go where people are. Go where people are. You know, we, we've kind of gotten to this point where, where we want people to come to us. Well, they know the truth is here. They need to come to us. It's kind of like, you know, the mountain needs to come to Mohammed kind of thing, as that saying would go. But, but let's look at the story. Why did I read you Acts chapter 8? Look at Philip. Look at Philip's life. What did Philip do? Philip went to Samaria, a place that he shouldn't have been to. Why? Because we know that Samarians and, Samaritans and, and, and Jews didn't get along. They were like, you know, nasty enemies. And, and for, for Philip to go to a place that he knew wasn't a place that he should go to, he went there anyway. He followed the voice of God to take him to that particular place. And we find out that, that, that he realizes that in the midst of this, that it brings out this important point, that despite the fact that Jews and Samaritans hated each other, he knew it was important to go where God was sending him. Recall for a second the story of Jesus at the well, in a time of day that nobody would go to the well, who comes to the well? A Samaritan woman, a woman who's shunned by her community. She has to come draw water when no one else would be there. And what does she do? She meets a Jew. And Jesus begins this conversation with her. And she spites him in the front end, and she just throws back at him. She says, why are, you, why are you being nice to me? Why are you even talking to me? You shouldn't do this. I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. We don't get along. And Jesus turns the conversation, and what does he say? Think about me. I'm the one leading you to living water. And metaphorically, here's this woman coming to a well to draw water to give life to herself and to her family. And there's Jesus, a person she did not intend to encounter, who says that I promise to give you a drink from, from my well. 
See, this, this reminds us that, that we are called to communicate to people who don't look like us. You know, most of our congregation is Caucasian. What will it take for us to be more diversified? Our community is not all Caucasian. We have a, a growing number of African Americans in our community. The, the greatest um, population percentage that's growing in our community is Asian. We have Latinos, and yet we remain Caucasian. So the question is, are we going where the people are? Or are we kind of staying in our own little thing? And so that's a challenge that's before us. You see, Jesus asks us to take the, the gospel message of love to all. He says that there's no room for bigotry, there's no room for prejudice or bias in the life of a child of God, that we are to bring the gospel to all. Go into all, he says, and make disciples, sharing with them everything that I've commanded you and the importance of that. So if we want to share the love of Jesus with unbelievers, we have to go beyond the walls of the church. You've heard me say, I don't know how many times, a lot of times over the last 10 years that we've been together, and that is that church is different today than it was 20 years ago. I talked to my pastor friends 20 years ago whose churches were flooding with people, and people were just, they just opened the door, and they go like, people just came, we just opened the door, and they just came in. That's not church today. People aren't flooding churches because they are coming to churches to learn about Jesus. We're having to learn that we must go out into the world. We must go out into our community. We must go beyond our walls, and we must help people to become a witness of what Jesus is and who he is. So church is not uh, within, it's, it's beyond the walls. Here's the second one. Obey the Spirit's leading. So we're gonna go where people are, we're gonna obey the Spirit's leading. What did Philip do? Um, we, we know in the story, it says, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Another translation would be, go near and stand near this chariot. And you may be thinking, you know, well, well, God never speaks to me. Well, are you listening? Some of us think that the way that God speaks is like, you know, that God has this voice, you know. So what does the voice of God sound like? Is it, does it sound like thunder? Does the voice of God sound like, you know, George Burns? Does it sound like, you know, Charlton Heston? I personally think it sounds like Morgan Freeman. But, but you know, what does the voice of God sound like? And so we, we wrestle with that and we say, well, I never hear God speaking to me. Well, let me ask you, have you, have you ever had an idea that's moved you? Have you ever had something that's happened in your gut that says, you know, I don't know why I'm asking myself this question or I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing, but I feel like I'm being led to go do this. It might be God speaking to you. You know, for me, the way God speaks to me is not in an audible voice. It's not a, a neon sign that flashes that says, hey, give, give your attention. God speaks to me within a restlessness that's inside of me. I'll be, you know, sharing with Patty a struggle or a concern that I have or something that's in my heart that I'm passionate about. And I'm like, but I don't know the direction or the solution or, or what I should do with this. And Patty will look at me and she knows me so well and she says, Bob, of all the years since you've answered your call to ministry to now, it's God speaking to you. So stop trying to figure it out, stop trying to solve it, and just listen to the voice of God. So that's how God speaks to me. But maybe God nudges you in a different, in a different kind of way. We're also supposed to approach people in love. I talked a little bit about this last week. 
And we talked about judgment, that, that we cannot love somebody and judge them at the same time. That those two just can't happen. You either love somebody or you're going to judge them because you can't love them and judge them at the same time. So, so uh, you've decided to approach some middle-aged lady. Let's say you've decided to approach some middle-aged lady on Clearwater Beach. And you want to share the gospel with her. What's the tactic you're going to use? You're going to walk up to her and go like, you sinner? No, you're not going to do that. You're going to want to get to know her. You're going to want to know what her story is. You're going to, you're going to want to talk to her. Philip, Philip didn't use that tact. Philip didn't go up and accuse the Ethiopian. He didn't tell the Ethiopian, you're going to go to hell because you don't know to Jesus. He didn't do any of that stuff. He came up and he began to listen to the Ethiopian's story so that he could get to know him. And he could know how to minister to him. He established dialogue. You know, tact has been defined as, as the intuitive knowledge of saying the right thing at the right time. But I think sometimes we, the church, we, we, we don't use that very well. We don't express a whole lot of tact. So if we look at Philip and we look at his life, we understand these significant things. So when the Bible says preach, it doesn't mean that we have to yell at somebody. It doesn't mean that we have to take out our Bible and whack them across the head until they understand what we're trying to say. It doesn't mean that we need to condescend them into believing. Remember last week I also said that very few people, if not any, have come to Christ because they've been judged into a relationship, but a whole slew of people have come into a relationship with Christ because they were loved into it. It's the same thing that we see here. Here, here's the next one. Find common ground. Philip took time to understand the Ethiopian situation. He took time to understand what was going on in the Ethiopian's life. Here was a guy who was reading from Isaiah 53. So Philip offered his help. Philip conversed with him. Philip asked the question, do you understand what you're reading? And the man said, I, I, how am I supposed to know if there's no one to teach me this? So Philip knew that was the opening Philip knew that was the reason why God had placed him in the midst of this stranger that he didn't know. You see, sometimes it's only when we talk about people, when we talk about the, general, the generalities of life, sometimes it's, it's whenever we begin to understand their story that we can learn how to use the gospel best. And it's understanding their life and their situations, as well as our understanding of scripture, that's very important too, that we can then use the scripture to reach. It also means that we have to adapt to people. It doesn't mean that we change or adapt the gospel to the situation, but it means we, we, we adapt to know the person and we use the truth of the gospel. See, these are, these are simple things that we need to be reminded of in how we approach people and how we move in to develop some sense of, of, connect, of connection. Paul says it most eloquently this way in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, this means that, that I'm not bound to obey people just because they pay me, yet I've become a servant of everyone so that I can bring them to Christ. Okay, listen, I've, I've, I've become a servant to everyone so I can bring them to Christ. When I'm with the Jews, I become one of the Jews so that I can bring them to Christ. When I'm with those who follow the Jewish laws, I do the same even though I'm not subject to the law, so that I can bring them to Christ. When I'm with the Gentiles who don't have the Jewish law, I fit in with them as much as I can. And in this way, I gain their confidence and bring them to Christ. But I do not discard the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. 
And when I am with those who are oppressed, I share their oppression. Why? So that I can bring them to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone so that I might bring them to Christ. And I do all this to spread the good news. And I'm doing so while I enjoy its blessing. You know, it's kind of like, you know, walking in someone else's shoes. I talked about this in my Wednesday at 1. We have to walk in people's shoes. And when we walk in someone else's shoes, we get to know their situation. We get to know their struggles. We get to know their life. And therefore, we are able to meet their needs. Listen to this. Jesus was a master communicator, but he never dealt with two people the same way when he communicated his love to them. Let me give you two examples. The first one is the woman at the well. You know, she had spent her lifetime trying to fill a void in her life with men. And Jesus said, you're filling your life with the wrong thing. You're here at a well, so let me use this as your image. He made it real for her. I am the spiritual well. Draw from me and receive life. He said to a theologian in John's gospel, the theologian's name was Nicodemus, well-trained in the theology of, of God. And Jesus looked at Nicodemus, and he didn't come at him by, by talking about the laws and all that. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. But he looked at Nicodemus, and he said, Nicodemus, you must become like a child and be born again. And when you're born again, you'll understand this relationship with God. It's not about this ethereal stuff. It's about understanding what it means to be a child of God. So establish a relationship. And then based on that, ask yourself the question, what gospel story or what image can I share with that person that will connect? You see how this works? Here's who they are. Here's what their struggles with. Here's where they are in life. What story in the scriptures? So you gotta know the scriptures. Go read the scriptures. Understand the scriptures. What story can I use that will help lead them to Christ? And here's the final one. Tell your story. This is the last one. Tell your story. One of the most effective tools in leading someone to Christ is to tell them your story about how you came to Jesus. Don't, don't sit there and tell them what you had to give up in order to be a disciple. Instead, tell them what Jesus gave up so that they could be saved or so that you could be saved. Don't tell them about all the things that God has done for you in your past. Let them know what God is doing in your life now. And these are such important things. This is why this value is our final value. There's an ocean of people waiting for the good news. And in this value at St. Paul, we believe we do whatever it takes to reach people for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, as we transition in this time to the holy meal, I pray that this would be an outpouring for us, that understanding that Christ, while we were yet sinners, died for our sins, that that proves your love for us. So I pray that as we receive the sacrament today, that people will know that in the name of Jesus Christ, they've been forgiven. But God, help us to come to this place a place of understanding the importance of what this means. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who are called according to his purpose. 
He says, come draw near in faith and offer your humble confession. You know, we're beginning the season of Lent this Wednesday in our Ash Wednesday time, which means next Sunday is the first Sunday of Lent as we're journeying with this self-examination of our own sinfulness to bring us closer to Christ. That on Easter Sunday, the victory of the empty tomb reminds us that Christ conquers death and that death is sin. But as we prepare for this journey today, I wanna ask us as we begin this journey to think this through. How will you tell your story? How will you meet people where they are? How will you love them in the name of Christ? What can God do through you to have an impact on the kingdom? So in order to do that, we, we have to get rid of ourselves. We have to get rid of ego, edging God out. We have to get ourselves out of ourselves and make room for Christ in. 